0: Kia ora, I'm Sharon Breck kelly Today on The Detail, the political hot potato that's gone very cold.
1: Now what about immigration? Well, that's as big a fraud as housing as it turns out.
0: Immigrants, don't start beyond that. Termites and parasites. Lots of talk this morning about the difficulty of getting a visa in New Zealand.
1: Now one of the biggest drivers of this is our skyrocketing migration figures. We warn New Zealanders... Of what would happen in every area of our economy if this sort of uh, unplanned, unfocused immigration policy went on?
0: Let's be ambitious in a conversation. Should it be 15 million? New Zealand is a massive country. We can't afford
1: to have lots of people if we want. The question was, do we want to?
2: Immigration numbers have plummeted. There was like even a day where nobody left. Nobody came in too. New Zealand. We, we were just... Spooky. Yeah, it is. It is really kind of weird.
0: And the debates dried up. We look at the political parties' policies with RNZ's immigration reporter Jill Bonnet... And warnings from Massey University sociologist Paul Spoonley on what will happen
1: if we ignore it. One of the difficulties that the new government is going to face is that they're going to have people hammering on their door. Universities such as my own who are wanting to see a resumption of international students or employers who are going to say, look, we can't get moving again unless we have immigrants.
0: But first, some numbers, because in the 12 months to June this year, something extraordinary happened.
1: We hit 160,000 permanent arrivals. We hit a almost 80,000 net gain. Those are figures we've never, ever seen before in our political history.
0: And that period included four months of lockdown. But that's not all. Here's another figure. From the moment
1: we went into lockdown, there were... More than 300,000 temporary people Inside the country. That is extraordinary. It is extraordinary in terms of our own history. It's also very much higher than any other country. So in 2019, we had a net gain from migration of 11.4 people per thousand New Zealanders. Australia was 6.2. So we're almost double that of Australia, and we're three to four times higher than most OECD countries in terms of the population gain in 2019 from migration.
0: They just keep coming in despite what the policies are?
1: No, I think the policies have have dictated um, who comes in and what conditions and where they go. But what we saw was after 2013, as we emerged from the uh, global financial crisis, we saw the key government using migration to both shore up the economy and also to generate demand and to provide labour supply. So that was a major feature of that key government. In 2017, we obviously had Labour and New Zealand First wanting to dampen down that growth. Winston Peter says he'd he'd, he'd stop 60,000 immigrants from coming to the country. What do you make of that? It sounded very Trumpian. But that enthusiasm does not seem to have survived more than a couple of years. So... Uh, in terms of the 2018 year, certainly the, number, the net gain from migration was about 52,000. But then, of course, we saw that um, major increase in the 2019 and early 2020 year. And I think it was driven both by the need to have significant numbers coming in in terms of industries like export education. So over 100,000 people at lockdown were in New Zealand on study visas. So $4.4 billion, uh, employing at least 30,000 people, really, really significant part of the New Zealand economy. I think it was to meet the labour demands of New Zealand, and even at this point, even in the most recent surveys, skill shortages and labour shortages are still a top priority for New Zealand employers, even given all that COVID has thrown at us, we continue to have these shortages and and immigration has been a major source in terms of meeting those shortages.
0: OK, but what has happened since June? I mean, has it all just come to a standstill? It
1: has come to a standstill. So we've got the returning New Zealanders or permanent residents and that is that dominates the inward flow. We've seen over 100,000 people in the last few months leave and those are people who've been here on temporary visas.
0: I mean, I suppose some people would say immigration is non-existent so why even why even think about it?
1: Yes and I'm, I'm puzzled by this a, a little bit because in any way that you look at it and leaving aside the very high numbers that we've seen in recent years, immigration in some form is going to have to be part of our rebuild. It doesn't matter whether it's the international education and the need by our tertiary sector or indeed by our secondary sector to get those international students back, or whether it's the so-called shovel-ready projects in which we're going to need skilled labour, people who are able to get those underway because there aren't people in New Zealand who've got the required skills or there aren't the number of them in New Zealand. So whichever government is going to be formed after the election, immigration is going to have to be part of what we consider. And we're not getting a very strong indication from the political parties about what that looks like. Is it that they're too scared to articulate what they will need to do because it will therefore seem as though they're privileging immigrants over New Zealanders during a very difficult economic set of circumstances? Uh, Is it because they're not sure what will happen because COVID is still really has disrupted international mobility and of course uh, labour migration and we don't know where that's going to end and what it's going to look like so there's a degree of uncertainty. Um, Is it because they've not spent much time thinking about it because there are other priorities?
0: Well let's look at those policies with Jill Bonnet. This is what the debate sounded like three years ago.
1: Welcome back. Well New Zealand as everybody knows has been hit by a growth bomb. Our Population is currently 4.8 million. We get a new New Zealand resident, though, every six minutes from immigration. Said that we believe it needs to come down by between 20 and 30,000. And we're a country who can handle growth. You know, I remember what this country was like when it wasn't growing and when parts of it were going backwards. How are you going to fill the skills gap and cut immigration? How?
2: There is definitely a more muted feeling to the immigration debate at this election, I think, than in 2017. And if you remember back then, um, Labour was talking about turning the tap down on immigration. Issues like housing and infrastructure were being placed firmly at the feet of immigration policy. Uh, and obviously New Zealand First was, was loud in its declarations about how, the influence that immigration was having.
0: This is economic and social lunacy. And we said so for a long, long time. And if other parties close up to the election are panicking and are now starting to agree with us, well, that's all in good. But the real point is they were warned about it and they did nothing. There is a huge difference. Last time it was
2: basically at the front of the whole political campaigning and debating. Now you'd say that COVID-19 has killed the debate in some sense yeah the other thing of course is that there have been changes in the last three years even before COVID the foreign ownership ban there was a big debate coming up to the 2017 election that foreign owners were uh, pumping up the price of houses. So Labour had introduced that policy, so maybe there's less discussion now about the influence that immigration has over things like the housing supply. And that's because they simply can't buy houses unless they're permanent residents. What is Labour's policy on immigration? Labor and national both have a similar tone at this election and it's I'd say tone more than policy because they're talking mostly about the border and obviously the border is immigration, but it's in the context of COVID-19 and it's how many people are going to be in managed isolation. So Labour's immigration spokesman, Chris Farfoy, is talking about a new normal when it comes to immigration.
1: From the very first moment I became the Minister of Immigration a couple of months ago, we were sending a strong message to sectors who were crying out for Labour from offshore that they had to start rethinking things uh, for the medium and long term. As we start seeing uh, the effect that covid has on New Zealand workers, we start prioritising them and the training opportunities and the wage opportunities that will come out of that as well.
2: I don't think that's like along the same lines as New Zealand First's immigration reset, but a lot of people are saying, well, at this point, are we able to just maybe pause and have a look, see what we need, make sure that only the, the those workers that we really need in the country should be allowed in? The managed isolation policy that Labour has is that if they're re-elected, they'll allow uh, one in ten managed isolation places to be taken by overseas workers and investors, in addition to those ex- expats that are coming back.
0: Let's just recap. Labour and National are both talking about a quota within managed isolation for skilled workers and
2: investors. What about the Greens? The focus that they have is around fairness. They say that in the last few years we've lost our way a little bit in terms of how we treat our. Overseas workers, international students, that we've been tempting people in, asking them to pay thousands of dollars for courses in the hope that they have and that maybe we haven't totally discouraged that they will then be able to get uh, post study work visas and that that will then lead on to residence.
0: Here's the Greens' goal, Riz Gariman. The residence programme, I think, has been a source of real stress and anxiety for migrants. And it has felt really exploitative of New Zealand to let people in and have them integrate into our system to give their labour or their money in terms of education and then not be able to settle. I think setting arbitrary numbers by political parties has been the cause of that. OK, so are they saying let in the students or let in people on temporary visas, but make it clear to them that? this isn't a promise that they
2: can stay forever? They're mainly saying that if you're taking people's money or if you're having them come and work here for many years on work visas, they they give their labour, they settle, their children go to school here, that you should uh, allow them to to settle permanently. They're living in a state of limbo and that it's not fair. And the Greens also want to uh, carry on their 2017 uh, pledge about refugee numbers rising. So, refugee numbers doubled this year, but effectively it's not come in yet because refugees haven't been allowed in since the first lockdown.
0: One of National's lines is that resident numbers are to be set by business needs, not by government. Here's its immigration spokesperson, Stuart Smith.
1: Anyone thinks they can sit back with a whiteboard and plan how many people we need exactly? is
2: naive. There's been a residence target for as many years as I can remember. So how many people should be allowed to settle in New Zealand? But in terms of work visas and student visas, there's never been a cap on that. And it would also follow that immigration has always been prompted by business needs, not by government targets. So I think that they're just saying that, yes, we should try and fill those skill shortages. Business needs immigrants, let them in. Okay, and and also a line that the tech sector will equal dairy and time. One of their big policies is around technology, and I'm sure you'll have heard Judith Collins saying that they want to grow that sector, and they, they see this as an opportunity of increasing that $8 billion a year sector. It would mean that in immigration terms if you were investing or if you're an entrepreneur or if you were a skilled tech worker somewhere in the world that you would uh, be able to get one of these visas.
0: We could make it a much less red tape involved and get a very attractive destination for those high net worth investors and technology entrepreneurs to
2: come in. and take advantage of our remoteness and just build that sector up into something that they hope will equal dairy one time in terms of the amount of revenue that it generates.
1: And that would really help our tech sector move to the next level.
2: Let's look at ACT. They've got a line
0: that they want to attract, and this is in quotes, extraordinarily skilled investors. We have an opportunity to use our relatively relatively COVID-free
1: status, uh, our ability to manage the virus well.
0: This is ACT's immigration spokesperson, James McDowell.
1: To attract extraordinarily skilled people, investors, and other productive individuals to New Zealand. Immigration numbers have plummeted this year. And with all of the expat New Zealanders coming home, things have shifted. The skills landscape has shifted massively.
2: They make the point that they are a pro-immigration party. And I think that it would be fair to say that all parties that I spoke to, so that's the ones that are in Parliament at the moment, apart from New Zealand First, would badge themselves as a pro-immigration party and ACT and National maybe more on the side of allowing more immigrants in to fill those skill shortages.
0: We've got a chance to have a serious reset now and ensure we bring people who we seriously need into this country because they have skills that we haven't got or ones that we are trying to make up for in the interim. But we cannot go ahead as the previous... uh, uh, two old parties did, and thinking that somehow driving up the population is good for GDP growth. It's not. It's about consumption. And as a consequence, our overall GDP did not go in any way ahead like, for example, Australia's did. We have surely have had to have learned a lesson here, and we, uh, in our reset, will have done that. New Zealand First's Winston Peters there calling for a reset but it's hardly shouting for it as it has in the past
2: and a couple of new things have popped up in its policy. One is a population plan and you might remember that Shane Jones during the many kerfuffles that he raised about immigration during the last three years said that We need to actually design something, decide how many people we want in the country as a whole and and try and work to that rather than just having immigration in a sort of ad hoc way. The other thing that they're pointing to that might be a good idea would be a rural visa. And that would see um, immigrants work in places with fewer than 100,000 people And if they were to stay there until they get their permanent residence, that that would be a way to populate those areas and to get those skills where they're needed. It would be fair to say that New Zealand is two countries, really, when it comes to immigration. And if you take those um, smaller communities, their immigration problems are quite similar to many countries that, that historically have had very low immigration and that are now actually trying to attract immigrants in because they will die otherwise you know, the the likes of Japan, for example, where you've got um, such an aging population that they've now had to go and approach countries like Germany and say, please come and work in our country. Really? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a quite a few countries like that around the world that have historically had no immigration. And now with their, their demographics, they've realized that the time has come, they've got to go and try and attract those immigrants. Um, so yeah, there are places in New Zealand that are like that, really. That if, especially as you say, in things like aged care, where you've you've literally got the problem in front of you. You've got the ageing population on the one hand, and you've got the lack of your young workers to look after them. And yes, you need your Filipino nurses, and you need your your, your doctors from Asia, and you need you know you need all those things. The health. Care system really relies on those people.
0: Let's look at another quite contentious issue and that's rich investors.
2: Yeah, rich investors are interesting. The things that they're scared about probably aren't the Armageddon and all the rest of it, the nuclear winter that the underground bunkers were built for. Mm. They're just interested in a place where they can... Bring up their families safely, like most immigrants are after. But there has been this incredible surge in interest, and this isn't just people clicking on web pages. You know, these are people who who have been approaching the uh, part of MB that deals with um, investing and making sure that those investments are good for New Zealand as well as for the investor. There is still obviously the problem that the border is closed. It's closed to them as well. But under those sort of managed isolation uh, restriction loosenings that there have been and that have been signaled are going to happen, they would be allowed to come in um, and plonk their money down and uh, put that in to you know, act as angel investors or to you know grow a business themselves. What's the concern that
0: they would be given priority over others who weren't rich?
2: If there is a concern, I think I remember hearing Jacinda Ardern saying it wasn't that we were going to be selling the New Zealand passport to the highest bidder, something along those lines. It's got to be in our interests. But then Mm. if there is a silver lining to this awful COVID-19 and New Zealand's done so well in terms of um, its response, then do we not capitalise on that? Do we not take the benefits that, you know, apparently people are really desperate to come here? So who is actually coming in now? To begin with, it was really only New Zealanders and those with a strong humanitarian case. So if they were accidentally stranded one side of the border or the other from, like, their children or their families. The other exemptions were for people whose skill set was such that there was nobody in New Zealand that could do their job. And so examples of that were like um, engineers who were fixing ski lifts and uh, fixing the sewage pipes down in Wellington. So it was very strictly drawn out. And then, of course, there was the avatar exemption and... Now we're at the point where we're letting in people whose skills are simply not readily available. So you, you you will find, obviously, vets in New Zealand, but there aren't enough vets for of farm stock, for example. So they've um, loosened those sorts of restrictions. Construction workers for projects that the government's running, you know, or, or of national importance like Transmission Gully... Um, the city rail link. And this new policy, what, what would come in after the election about letting a tenth of the managed isolation places go to overseas workers will just allow that pipeline of workers to to a very small degree still, but just be opened up a little bit more.
0: Some say the border won't fully reopen until 2023 or even later. Paul Spoonley reckons that's pessimistic. But still, 2021 won't look a heck of a lot different to this year. But that shouldn't stop the discussion and planning. Paul says it's urgent. Without it, towns where populations are stagnant or already shrinking will be in big trouble. And so will many industries
1: it will dampen down both economic and population growth. So if we take something like the RSE workers, if we don't get those RSE workers this year, and even allowing for the fact that we might be able to encourage some New Zealanders to pick our apples, we are going to lose millions in terms of the apples that are not going to be picked. And that will be deeply disappointing. It will also impact upon our rebuild as we come out of COVID-19. So can we afford to do that? My answer would be no. And we're going to have to find ways of resuming immigration or certain forms of immigration quite fast as we can in order to be able to contribute to that economic rebuild. So too many immigrants would add to demand in ways that might be counterproductive, for example, housing. But we still need to acknowledge that immigration and the skills that immigrants bring are absolutely essential to our post-COVID rebuild. So it's not an easy fix in terms of resuming immigration. And I don't see that debate occurring. I hear the voices from employers, for example, saying we desperately need immigrants in our industry or in our organisation. But as a national discussion, which is setting priorities, which is saying, you know, we're going to let in this amount in terms of this particular sector or organisation. That's not occurring.
0: That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The details brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform and if you're using Apple, leave us a rating so other people can find us too. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Jill Bonnet and Paul Spoonley. Mā te wa.